This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> and welcome to episode 93 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. How you doing, Paul? Good, Dan. I'm really good. I'm sweltering hot once again. Um, summer has, has come. We, you know, we're into December now. It's hot. It's I love it. We're down to weeks left of the year. And I, I just love that because I feel like, like it's busy, but it's also like, We'll do it next year. And it's a good time. It's like, you know, slightly longer lunches are happening. There's a few sort of social gatherings, some good, some bad, but it's a good time. December in New Zealand is, uh, as you say, it's warming up, the sun's out. It's, it's great. It's a great time. The longer lunch is always a good one. I um, I also enjoy not just the countdown to, to Christmas, but also I always start thinking about the countdown to our our top 10 podcast. I love the top 10 TV shows podcast. I get very excited. Even as a host, I look forward to that one. Oh, look, I'm, I'm excited. And that's going to be coming up real soon. And there's, there's been some real bangers of shows this year. So it's going to be a, a tough 10. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if our, our lists are quite different this year. I'm quite excited about that prospect, actually, which is always good. I've managed to whittle my list now down to 17. Mm. That's good. That's good. I haven't even started my list. That's, but I that's do classic have... half measures. That's me already thinking ahead, planning, got it on paper. You're just like, oh, who is this? What am I doing? And saying that, and saying that, I do keep a spreadsheet of everything I've watched, and I do um, keep a rating of it, so I should be able to filter that quite easily. Wow, were you a BA in a past life, Dan? Don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, no, look, it's all the data's there. It just needs a little bit of a little bit of analysis, a little bit of crunching, and then we'll we'll, we'll see what we've got. Wow, sounds like you're more organised than I gave you credit for. That came to bite me in the backside. Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, shall we jump in to the age-old tradition of what have you been watching? Indeed. Uh, so 1974's The Man with the Golden Gun is this week's Bond movie. Um, James Bond targeted by the world's most expensive assassin while he attempts to recover sensitive solar cell technology that's been sold to the highest bidder. So Roger Moore's second Bond, just like last week's, I had a, I didn't have a good memory going into this, um, but unlike Living That Die, this sec, this second one, uh, his, his second outing is Bond. Sorry, Man with the Golden Gun is way better than I remember it, and one of the reasons for that, of course, has to be Christopher Lee, one of the all-time great actors taking on the role of a of a Bond villain. I feel like in timeline order that I've been watching it. This is by far like the biggest actor to 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 take on the role of a Bond villain. And he, every time I hear him talk, I, I have to admit it's Count Dooku, which is crazy when you think about how much stuff he's done. But honestly, he was a standout for me. And going back and seeing him as as um, Scaramanga was was great. He was he was a fantastic Bond villain. It really it made my memory of this movie. It, it's really made it better than I thought it was. It's a fantastic name for a villain, isn't it, Scaramanga? It's it's good. And what better person to play it, as you say, than, than Christopher Lee? And this is also another Bond movie with a fantastic poster and a classic one at that. The the man with the golden gun is, a, yeah. I think, a well-known uh, James Bond sort of trope. So 
it is and oh great great another great uh soundtrack as well the theme song by lulu uh it is scaramanga is a name you're right you know if you if you were hiring if you were the recruiting manager then and you saw that on a cv it would probably just make i don't know maybe i shouldn't say it's inappropriate but you know it doesn't sound trustworthy does it scaramanga i'd hire them on the spot on the, that's the sort of that's what you're looking no, for no questions asked I, i'm always recruiting a team of hench people that uh to do my bidding that checks out um what else can i say about this there was another little cameo in this movie dan from uh clifton james who plays that crazy u.s sheriff and this time he's in the movie he's on like on his vacation and he bumps into bond again and he's just like what are the chances um i think this movie so it does suffer from ratings on any website i've looked at it and it tends to get sort of torn apart and i think it does suffer from a little bit of a the plot has no real guts to it so they 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 kind of get away with it I guess with at this time, with this era, like if this was Daniel Craig, if this was one of his bomb movies, it would have got torn to torn to shreds. But like it's basically MI six get tricked into thinking that Scaramanga wants to kill Bond, and so then Bond goes after him, and and that's it. There's no real substance there. So, but there is a lot of fun in the movie. Um, the little the sidekick uh, Nick Nack, he's he's good fun. He's terrifying in his own way. Um, Britt Eklund and Maud Adams are good. Um, Maud Adams actually shows up in another Bond movie in the future. But uh, there's there's just a lot of great stuff. And for me, and I know I said this last week, but I have to say it again, Roger Moore, it's so easy to forget that he's just getting started, you know, just his second go out as Bond. And he just seems to know who his Bond is. And he's very confident with that Bond and making it different to Sean Connery's was, was necessary. And he just plays it with this... This, sim- this sort of sympathetic, sort of suave, smooth, always about the irony, and it just works. And I'm enjoying that more than I thought I might when I was getting prepared mentally for Roger Moore. So it's been really good. That's that's good, and I think it's funny you mentioned earlier that there's quite a few sort of, well, there's quite a comedic element to these movies, which in my mind. James Bond is always quite serious. Like, there's always been a little bit of fun, but it's interesting, right? Because even when you look back at the the last Daniel Craig movie, quite a bit of sort of comedic stuff happened in, in that movie as well. Yeah. And interesting that obviously it happens throughout all of these ones, but it just, I wouldn't have said in my you know, that these are, this is the way that these movies are portrayed, even even the old classics like this one. Yeah. I mean, we've still got five more Roger Moore's to go, but for for now, I find the humour level is just right. And again, it fits with the era. It fits with Roger Moore's style and the seriousness. Like I seem to have a memory that Timothy Dalton goes real, real serious in the two that he did. And I, I wonder if that sets that trend. Well, I guess Pierce Brosnan has a good sense of humour in his. I don't know, but I, I hear what you're saying. Um and it's it's the highlight of the week from a watching point of view for me. Every every weekend when the three of us sit down to watch a Bond movie, it's I love it. Absolutely brilliant. That's awesome. Good stuff. Anything else on your list this week apart from our joints? Yeah, apart from the stuff we've done. Joints. Our joints. Well, that's that's that's. Uh, Kaye. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, then I I am starting to creep into the horror genre step by step just a little bit and i think that you know yourself diana um sador in our discord community i think bit by bit it's just starting to get me into the horror genre and so anyone who listened to our podcast last week 
I talked about The Outsider, which was the you know the TV series, which was the cop drama with horror. This week, I've gone with a mix of World War Two and horror. And this is um, a New Zealand movie currently available on Neon, and that is Shadow in the Cloud. So this one, uh, this came out in 2020, set in uh, well World War Two, so 1943, and it's about this this uh, female air force officer who is given orders to get on board a, a B-17 bomber and transport this top secret package from New Zealand to Samoa. And it, it literally starts with her arriving at Auckland Air Base where she witnesses this, I don't know, like a, an airport runway worker, whoever, disappear right in front of her. And and that's it. This is a... I won't tell any more because I don't want to give away spoilers, but that's basically... It just unfolds from that point. And this was a great watch. It was... <sighs> I guess, yeah, I don't want to talk about spoilers because I think anyone who does want to watch it, it's it's hard, it's going to be hard to talk about with not talking reveals and plot twists, but there are some things that happen in this movie which I didn't necessarily expect going in and it just was all the richer for it. It was real good. It's interesting because when you said horror, I was expecting something not like not this. And yeah. when I even look at the poster and I'm just looking at some of the stills, I'm still like, horror yeah that's right mm. yeah it, 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 that's exactly it and you, you don't expect it necessarily and uh the balance of that horror i think they got just right um so um just quickly this is directed by um roseanne liang um who already has a great strike with us with her comedy creamery that she wrote and directed that we talked about earlier in the year and one of the producers then is our old mate tom hearn who not only was the creator of the Panthers, uh, we talked about a while ago, but also he's the producer of Guns Akimbo, the movie which we officially adopted as our rating scale. So um, there's, a, there's a great team behind this. And on in front of the camera, um, the lead actress, Chloe Grace Moritz, who I, I haven't seen in too much, but I probably best remember her from Kick-Ass. And she really kicks ass in this movie too. Um, Taylor John Smith is great. Uh, Benedict Wall is one of the Kiwi actors in it. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh, actors in that they're really good. And I don't know if you've seen, or do you remember Planet Terror? Um, I do. Yeah, it's that's another movie I love. And there's, there's some of the action meets horror elements uh, of this movie. They kind of border on the unbelievable, has a real Planet Terror vibe about it. And it's the kind of action scenes where you know it's like a one in a hundred chance that that would actually happen. And every other time you're going to be falling out of the plane. But it fits in with this movie, and you you just go with it, and it's 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 kind of like if you um, think about those um, Colin Firth movies, what are they? The The Kingsman. You know that it's a bit over the top, but it's it just really it takes the stunts to the to the limit, and the more insane it gets, the more enjoyable it is. And then you combine that with that, as I said, that horror element and the war element, and it's 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 also got some really good humor in there, believe it or not, as well. So. So yeah, I, I really didn't know what to expect coming in, but I really did have a have a really great time. It's also got that whole, um, you know how I talk about movies in a confined space. So movies like 7500, that plane movie, um, The Platform, um, Criminal, 
that kind of thing. This is another one where the vast majority of the movie takes place. Again, not too many spoilers, but it's on board this 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 plane, but it's also within the confines of the the like the gunner's turret as well. And so it, it's there's a real point of view sort of element to this. It's uh, yeah, I, I can't talk highly enough about this because if you look online at ratings, if you read reviews. This is not a good yardstick for ratings for me. And it's a reminder to me that you should never use, you know, IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes as a barometer for not watching something because it's way higher up there for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that it's uh, it's interesting there because it's it's gotten – the reviews are all over the place. Like mm. the critic reviews are quite high on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. The, the user review is low. The IMDb re- reviews real in the middle. The Metacritic's a bit higher than that. And so I think, as you say, sometimes it's easy to give these things a pass. But um, I, And I feel like it was maybe in that camp for me, but I, you, you've kind of piqued my interest. Yeah, much – not only much better than I expected, just – genuinely enjoyable and something i would i would recommend it's uh it's a, a runtime of one hour 23 which was you know just it just it, there was no filler in there it, it just it kept on moving at a tremendous pace and there's 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 also sort of there's also elements of um uh like a like a theme of sexism going on in terms of that's so apparent uh watching it through a, through a modern in a modern context um in terms of you know that none of the guys on this plane were expecting a female officer to get on board and the manner in which she gets treated but as i say she gives as good as she gets and uh, yeah it's a, a really enjoyable watch the horror element the 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 fun action if if you're into that and if you you know there's it's a great popcorn movie and it's well put together production wise special effects wise I thought it was really good. Like there's the dog fights going on in the air. Um, there's the, the thing with the horror perspective. I put it above, like we talked about Greyhound recently and I thought that was a bit green screeny. I, th- I put it way above that. I thought this was really well put together all around. So in honor of Mr. Tom Hearn, I give this one all of the guns. There you have it, folks. Fresh from Pork and Hour. You can watch that on uh, Neon here on New Zealand. Yeah, you can indeed. Yeah. Awesome. That's, it's a, it's that's a great me, review. That's me, Dan. What about yourself? Um, so I have been a little bit off the grid over the last week. So coming in a, a little bit light this week, but I have managed to fit uh, one TV show in along with the things that we've watched together. So this TV show was recommended to me uh, by a few people at work. And I thought, you know what? I better get on it. People are making recommendations. Mm. Uh, this is a show also on Neon called The White Lotus. So this is a six-episode TV show. Are you familiar with this one, Paul? I have heard about it. There's been a lot of hype about it for sure, so I'm keen to hear what you think. So the basic, so so the first thing that really appealed, I guess, is six episodes. I love that. Mm. I love a good short season, uh, hour-long episodes. And so the, the premise of the show is it's a, it's a bit of a – dark comedy drama i guess and it's set on a tropical resort and follows the the exploits of various guests and employees over the span of a week and so they're basically somewhere in hawaii and all of these people that arrive at this hotel all their lives kind of end up intersecting in some uh 
dark comedic way and as the sort of the different events play out between the, the guests and, and the hotel staff, it, it kind of took me a little bit to warm up to the concept of the show, which is a lot considering it's only six episodes. But I'll tell you, Paul, by the end of this, all the guns, this is a fantastic six episode show. I literally wanted more. It, it was ending too soon. I am fascinated by so many characters on this show. And I think it does a really good job of just kind of slowly introducing you to these characters and you're kind of getting to know them and they're, they're kind of weird little quirks. There's some absolutely amazing performances by people like Jennifer uh, Coolidge and uh, Murray Bartlett. And it's there's just something... Like, it, it kind of has a little bit of a this isn't this isn't quite right and probably an uh, an unfair unfair sort of linkage but it reminds me of like a serious arrested development if like it was a little bit more serious but the the crazy stuff that's going on in this hotel is it's just outrageous and i don't really want to talk too much about the the detail of uh what these guests get up to in, in the hotel and, and why they're all connected. But it's a show that by the end, as I say, it'll leave you wanting more. And it's a show that really sits with you. And when people have sort of said to me over the last few days, well, what have you been watching? What would you recommend? I'm like the White Lotus. you got to get on it. And I'm pretty stoked to see that there. It looks like they're coming back for a season two. Um, just a, an all-round good time, good time show with some good dark humour. It's so fascinating because that that premise is so simplistic, you know, just following the exploits of the guests and the employees over the span of a week. It's like, like, what is it? What is in there? It gives me nothing. And everyone that I've spoken to has said exactly the way you've described it about the characters, about the relationships, about how it sticks with you. Um, Mike White, the writer, sorry, the creator, he's he did School of Rock, which is a movie I really love. Um, so he's got some great stuff under his belt. The cast is interesting to me because I think we've talked about Jennifer Coolidge before. Because when I see her, I just see her literally from the you know that that comedy scene. And so I I wonder is 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 the you know this this comedy drama is it leaning more comedy than it is drama? It's a very dry comedy. Like it's because it's. It, so the whole thing is, you know, like and that's why I'm sort of unsure about saying a reset development before, mm. but it's it's got that type of quirkiness about it, but not a reset development would be almost more slapstick. And I'd say this is more more drama with dry comedy, just because the the crazy stuff that like you know the guests put each other through, both in terms of their relationships with their partners or their kids, or the way they treat the hotel staff, the hotel staff shenanigans that are kind of happening in the background. It's 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 a modern day faulty towers. And even that's like an unfair statement because that's that's a you know that's like a true comedy. But there's just I think it's you're right, it is such a simple concept, but done so well that I I ended these six episodes really kind of caring about these characters in ways that I didn't think would be possible over such a short amount of time. And I think it's because each one of these guests kind of comes with a bunch of baggage and you go on this journey with them and they kind of, some of them find their way and some of them don't, but you just kind of, you feel connected to it. Mm. And it's a, it's, it's just a really good watch, I think. If you're looking for something fresh, something easy, something that you can watch over a couple a couple of nights, 
the White Lotus, check it out. Yeah, six hours is uh, easily consumable. I like that. And honestly, when you said like a modern day folding towers, that's that's enough for me because that is a that is a classic. And um, again, I don't don't expect like you no. know like <laughs> like like it's not folding. It's an unfair thing, but like the concept of you know with faulty towers, like you're kind of getting an inside into the hotel. Correct. You're getting an inside into the yeah. guests, and it's all kind of chaotic, and it's like. It's a little bit like that, but not at that pace and not not at that type of in-your-face humour. Yeah, and that was the crucial bit when you said that it lent into that drama more. I love the sound of that. It sounds like a great find. And yeah, every everyone who I've spoken to has had something positive to say. So that's always a good, you know, that is a good yardstick. And I think it, it is, as I say, it's, it's weird that at six episodes, it took me a few episodes to get into it. Like I was kind of at about episode three and I was like, is this good? It's just been overhyped to me, and it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it. I just wasn't sure if it was if it was connecting with me. But the following three episodes just kind of like lift you up and take you to this sort of magical place, and just stick with it. Stick with it. I don't know how many people pay attention to what you say, Dan, but I've felt like I've heard you say that a number of times where you're like halfway through, and you're like, "Is this good? Am I enjoying it?" And it's kind of like it's always at that halfway point, and. Then, then we find like, out. I'm always like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm never, I feel like I'm never truly in, like, especially if it's been like too hyped for me. But um, yes, no, this is, and it because I guess with this show, it really got me thinking about the people that recommended it to me, and it sort of got me thinking about what type of people they are and like why they like it, and you know, sort of like trying to sort of analyze what type of shows they might be into. It's <laughs> true. Uh, the other thing that I've watched, um, was, and I'm sure you have as well, is episode five, season four of Yellowstone. Yeah, so under a blanket of red, John and Casey forced to deal with some newcomers in town. Lloyd still in the doghouse with Rip um, and Jamie seeking information about his father as Jimmy continues his adventures in Texas. Um much like last week, Dan, for me, I felt like there's a, there's a few stories on the go. Nothing too, nothing too big happened. There was a few things that kept moving and brewing. And and even as I say that, I'm really conscious that we actually only have three more episodes to go, and then that's it for season four. This is the shortest Yellowstone season ever. Dan, your reaction of panic tells me that you were not prepared for that. I am not prepared. I am expecting 10 episodes and I will not have it any other way. I'll see if I can get Taylor Sheridan and John Linson on the line whilst you give me your overview of the episode. Yeah, I thought this was a, this was a kind of a, like, I love the show so much, but a nothing episode. Like it was more just a bit of a, a bit of character progression, a um, bit of progressing the storylines. Things were kind of slightly happening, but not a, not a big sort of drama action-packed episode um as per last week as you just mentioned really great way to sort of keep making sure that all of those stories are progressing all of those plates are still spinning for some reason and i've never noticed it so much before i did find the episode quite like you know where they would insert an ad break yeah. normally yes I felt like it was quite it was quite choppy between scenes we spotted and i was too. like and i was like is this normal is this something that's something's happened over here or but it it felt like aggressive cuts between different 
yeah. an intern had started this week and they said, I'll oh, do the cuts on the latest Yellowstone movie. And it's kind of, cause it comes in and it comes expressed to us. So I imagine however they're doing it, they're getting it out pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. But yeah, no, that was, it was a strange thing to notice. I kind of weirdly just enjoy uh, the, this, even Lloyd's story of still winning the doghouse and just how much you, I feel for that guy yeah. and how hard it must be to let someone like rip down and, just you know, there's rap is a he is a hard MFA. Like he is. Yeah. He really he really the, the the Lloyd story is killing me because I his eyes he's he's like an old dog and you know that dog's looked after you for so long and now suddenly it's been ah, oh, it's 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 that is hard to watch. That's one of many stories and and one of the other reasons I mentioned the fact there's only three episodes to go is because we keep talking about these sort of five-ish stories that are on the go and i don't want them to cut any of them because i'm enjoying actually all of them but there's a lot of things moving and we haven't even gone back to not you know the the building site where they're you know where they were trying to create this you know the casino and all the rest of it that sort of story's gone quiet um the the jamie story we didn't get too much out of it and that for me feels like that's the main thread of this story I feel like through like I'm in genuine shock, Paul. That through like I know that Yellowstone can pull together anything in three episodes, so that's no problem <laughs> yeah. for them. Um, but it's I, I'm genuinely sad because I'm just I just enjoy this this world and this kind of like place you go off to almost a sort of like fairy tale Western experience for better or worse, and it's just such a good time. It, I don't want it to end. No, it is. and the thing is because there's such a short amount of time left. What I don't want them to do is to speed up where they shouldn't speed up. Because one of the great things about this show that we talk about is when they they just slow it right down, that ranch speed, and you know John Dunn comes along and he sits down and he just has a yarn, and you don't want to lose that. Even though when it ramps up and the action gets going, that's always great. But like in this episode, there was that scene where there was a um, a, a protest um, that John got called out to, and uh, it was, you know, animal rights protest, and it was a really interesting scene. Um, and John Dutton, I don't know, he sounds so wise, and the expressions and the simple things he say just seem to, they're just genius. And I can never tell if it's just that he has great lines or Kevin Costner's a great actor, or I suspect it's both. But there's, I've got the quote on screen here, Dan, there's the moment where. Uh, the lady Summer explains to him why he's protesting and John Dutton just starts with you ever plow a field Summer and he looks up at the sky and you just know whatever he's going to say he's just going to knock it out the pack and and he does and he just says um, to plant the seed of whatever it is you want to eat you have to kill everything on the ground and under it every snake every frog every mouse every mole you kill them all so I guess the only real question is how cute does the animal have to be before you care if it has to die to feed you? And I want to stay straight away. That's not me disagreeing with animal rights or anything, because that's not the case at all. But I just felt it was such a great presentation of a counter argument and said in such a John Dutton way. And he's just, he's just a genius. I, yeah, he's such a, a great character. And I, I feel like he could equally be, um, Oh God, he's the the name's completely escaped me. Um, Clark Kent's father, and in, in the same scene, Jonathan Kent, um, yeah, 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 Jonathan Kent, and just it, w- it would make 
it would all make sense. I've got a question for you, Paul. Mm. Do you think um, Mr. Dutton is going to get some love in from Summer? I feel like there's a little romance brewing there. I sincerely hope not. Um, Beth, will kill, Beth will kill her. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She won't send yeah. a chance. But there was that line where um, she's referred to him as sort of politely spoken 50-year-old or something, and he was like, oh, 50s. I'm going to, you know, he, he sort of liked that. But uh, yeah, there's there's an outside chance of that but yeah as you say beth will tear shreds beth actually had a great line in this as well when she she said to john what are you doing today and he just says you know in a classic john Denham way, battling my conscience and she just takes a swig of her whiskey and says well i have no experience of that so i can't offer you any advice and costner gives a smile and i reckon it's the biggest john Denham smile we've had forget about this season i reckon for the whole series he, he it looked like he actually really genuinely cracked up at that my other favourite Beth moment, well, there's, there's a couple in this because I, I love the way that she um, took over the company. Mm. And I also loved her description of intermittent fasting with like her own <laughs> customised version yeah. of basically like cigarettes and alcohol. And it's so good. Yeah. The um, So the Jamie story didn't get enough coverage. The Jimmy story probably got more to, more coverage than perhaps it needed given, this, given how big the Jamie story is. But uh, there was a great scene where jimmy wakes up on a bench and they talk about in texas these you know the the three gods of texas the almighty george Strait and, and buster welch and so for buster welch to actually show up himself and i looked him up he's 93 um so i imagine the the cowboy community you know they must have loved loved seeing that um uh and yeah it was just a, a very strong scene this whole for me, naively, to any of our American listeners, I just, for me, Montana felt like cowboy country and this, this is, but actually, Texas, this is this is where it really is and it's a whole different world and he's in for a whole different experience. Sometimes I, I actually forget that Jimmy's more of a main character in this story than I ever really think about mm. because like he actually gets so much screen time compared to a number of the other characters. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah, it's, it's good. I... Cannot wait to watch this all over again. Um, Samara's busting to watch it. it. It's in a way, it's kind of I guess bittersweet that there's only three more episodes to go because it means that we can kind of restart the series. I, I was nervous to restart it while still watching this season, mm. so um, it will be good to just really immerse myself in this universe again from the beginning. Hundred percent. Um, apart from that, that's. All I've been watching. Shall we move on to The Walking Dead, The World Beyond? Yeah, so penultimate episode of the entire series. Season 2, episode 9, Death and the Dead. As the plan continues to unfold, tensions between the group and the CRM come to a dramatic head. Um, this one then, they're, they're starting to, to do a few things differently, I've noticed. It's like they they know they're near the end and so... They're going to take a few more risks or take a few more chances. We've got Hope dropping F-bombs. Dan, I don't think I've ever heard an F-bomb in The Walking Dead before. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's The the pace is so notably different. Yep. And it's it's kind of frustrating because I feel like you should have had that pace for the whole season. And like season one should have been your like slow burn, set up the universe. Season two is your final season. Let's go. Let's let's keep this moving. But this story is actually moving so quickly. 
it feels like they're literally having to, all right, we're just going to have to use your imagination here. This is how they're going to do this. These characters happening here. Like it's. Yeah. It's, and this is what I would hate for, you know, as we're talking about Yellowstone, I hate it when a show does that. When it's, it's almost poor planning as much as anything. This did teach me one thing though, Dan, and that is if there was like a, an, you know, forget about the, the nuclear event in Fear the Walking Dead. If there was like an, an Ice Age event, you know, like Snowpiercer or something, frozen zombies, they're the future. They're going to live forever because there's no way you can actually pierce their frozen brain and actually kill them and that was a real highlight for me because of course the only way to kill the zombie is to, to get through the brain but when the brain's frozen you're in trouble i um that's a good point i think um it is interesting right like we obviously we lost the character this uh this episode so we lost percy but i feel like that was set up from the beginning because he kind of got to say what his dreams were. And as soon as any character sees their dreams, that's it, you're, you're done. So um, I feel like we got some really good Elton scenes. It was good to yes. kind of get a bit more of him. I feel like I'm just not that connected to the, you know, the the CRM, the frozen zombies, the, um, the Silas. Like it's just, it doesn't spin my wheels as much. And I'll tell you the one thing that I find annoying, and this isn't limited to Walking Dead, this is – uh, superhero, James Bond, villain movies everywhere. Just kill Jadis. You know, like, yeah. the, you know, why muck around? Why even? Jadis is like a Terminator. She's she's going to be coming for them. And uh, it's just ridiculous that they just kind of like, you, you know, she's been she's been the main threat for the last five or six episodes. You You need to get away. You've got an opportunity to kind of like end the tension because if they if they you know to be frank about it, it sounds a bit callous if they had shot her, the serum would be in a disarray. They wouldn't like they could have had such a big head start. Yep. And anyway, it's the obvious thing to do. And you know, Huck's finally coming to the fore. She takes out two people with the gun. Then why not take out Jettis instead? She gives her the chance just to say, "Oh, wrong choice, Jennifer," which was interesting because I don't get to hear her name that often. Um. But yeah, Jadis is one of those characters because she's made it interesting to have her back because she's a familiar face. But I don't know what she's really necessarily adding. We didn't like her in The Walking Dead and she's relatively poorly written, which is a shame because the actress um, Pollyanna McIntosh, I think she's a good actress, but I just think that if you're not going to kill her off, she needs to be doing something more than she is. I think they'll kill her in the final episode, yeah. and I think oh, it, it's kind of weird because they've, you know, they've set up um, Julia Ormond um, as the, you know, the as sort of the main villain. But obviously, they're going to use her either in Fear or Walking Dead or the Rick Grimes movies because it's kind of like convenient that it just kind of shifted her out of sight, out of mind at the moment. Um, and it, it it just seems it seems bizarre to have her as kind of the the leader. To then all of a sudden be off on assignment. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Maybe they're keeping her for the the Daryl and Carol series, which you and I are looking forward to um, next year. Um, the zorbing was fun when they got inside the big globe. Although I, I didn't quite buy it when that zombie almost looked sort of stunned by the fact that there was this big rolling ball coming towards him. Like I don't think a zombie would have I've reacted got like that. Ball. <laughs> I've got I've a got lot of questions ball. about that. Like how the hell did they get that that the the giant globe off the stand? Like that would have been like bolted. Like, that would have been bolted on within an inch of its life. Yeah. And the way that they're just rolling down the mountain, like first of all, none of them would have ever zorbed before in their life. Then you've got like you've got Elton and you've got Silas, the this 
it would be like a golden retriever and a chihuahua. <laughs> like, like the, the the balance is all off, but they're just like plowing through walkers like it ain't no thing. And it's it's honestly, and this is sort of the, I think that's a good example of how quickly they're just cutting between scenes. It's like, oh, we're trapped. And oh, I've got an idea. Next minute they're rolling down the mountain yeah. on the globe. And it's like, how are you guys going to get out of that next minute? There's like a little perfect manhole for them. To, ah, just it was, come on, we'll be on. It's, yeah, it's, it's too much. It was good to have uh, Hope and, and Elton and Felix and Silas and, uh, and Iris, all of them back together. I feel like that's the first time since the start of season one, but it's, you know, I don't want to say it's too little too late, but it's, it is, they have left it very, very late. That, that scene, question for you, Dan. When Iris and Jadis are going at each other, and she's, you know, Jadis is like, "Oh, you're too young to understand." And then Iris says, "You killed a hundred thousand people, and you didn't need to." And Jadis is like, "Well, they were going to die anyway." I was kind of thinking, "Were they? How was that? What am I missing here? I don't know. I was tired when I watched this episode." I don't even know. I don't even probe too deep into these. These aren't John Dutton lines where you need to sort of overanalyze them. There, exactly. You know, they're probably cobbled together by different writers. Um, and I think you know the most intellectual thing that was said in the whole episode um, was probably by Mason uh, when he's like, "This is the best it's going to be. Like, there's no like, where else are you going to go? Like, none of these guys are combat ready, survival ready. These aren't." you know, Rick Grimes level characters. These are people that have been in the protections of a compound for it sounds like many years. And all of a sudden you're gonna have all of these kind of hopeless people out in the wild and you've still got actually the threat of the CRM who's gonna probably just come and helicopter them, mow them down. Like it's it's crazy. Well for everyone listening you must be just dying for this podcast to end so you can go away and watch The World Beyond on Amazon Prime because we sure are selling it pretty hard. Should we try any harder with Fear the Walking Dead this week, then? Yeah, so this is what, um, so we're season seven, episode seven. Uh, this episode is called The Portrait. So when baby Mo gets sick, Morgan successfully pleads for entry into Strand's tower. Morgan quickly learns even Strand's benevolence has its limits. I don't know about you, Paul. I I didn't love this episode that much either. It was um I found it again, you know, jumping between scenes. Like it was kind of interesting obviously that, you know, Morgan took baby Mo for some help, but there wasn't any kind of like lead up to Mo being sick. All of a sudden we're just at the residence, then there's people attacking, which I I did enjoy the catapults, but yeah. then all of a sudden we don't actually see any of the attack and how it's all kind of managed. And it was, it was kind of just like, like it was okay, but it was fatiguing. Yeah. Look, if I'm thinking about my enjoyment of Bond and Shadow in the Cloud and uh, this, this isn't out there, but still, I still feel like within the context of this, this show within this universe, I thought it was a strong episode. I felt it was good in terms of, after last week's episode really let me down i thought this was a i thought this was cleverly written in parts and i thought it was actually very sloppy in other parts um but overall i, I thought it was was good i i, I like i actually liked the fact that they showed him turning up and we didn't know why you know why mo was sick um i felt like i was taken in by the whole story and when strand was like you're the one who poisoned me I didn't see that coming at all. I hadn't put those pieces together 
at all. So it kind of the writing worked for me in that in that way. The whole the whole because Morgan's such a trustworthy, honourable guy. I wouldn't have thought he'd do that. But of course, they're so desperate to get in there. This this place up until now, this place has been invulnerable. It's been the envy of anyone else in the area, especially with the you know the nuclear fallout. And then all of a sudden, as you say, there's these zombies being flung, you know, catapult style, like the Roman Empire attacking, I don't know, whoever the Romans attacked. It was just, it was great. Yeah, it was a, it was a classy move, I think, to throw, a, to put a zombie on a on a catapult and like smash it through a window. I mean, look, I, I'm probably being a little bit hard on it. I think it's, I think it's because I sort of found the choppiness similar to World Beyond and I watched these episodes back to back. So right. um, I kind of, that they kind of shared a similar vibe. I also, you know, and I've, I've been banging on about this for a while. I think everyone who listens to this podcast will be like, can Walking Dead just end so we can just have a break? <laughs> um, as I was frustrated, but I'm like, the Alicia reveal was kind of frustrating. I kind of want more for her. I want more for her as a character than just to be one of the the junk dwellers. Yeah. Oh, no, I think she, I think she will be. I think she's obviously been off doing the actress Alicia Devon Kirby uh, has obviously been off doing something else. We've still, you know, this we've still got another seven episodes of this season to go. So I think she's going to, I presume she's going to have a strong finish to the season and become back at the four again. Um, what a relief though, that they did bring in because as this episode played out, there didn't seem like any, likelihood that it was going to be an Alicia episode and I, I was already thinking you know because I do think oh I'm going to talk about this on the podcast I was thinking oh we're going to moan about that again but at least she did show up I think the thing that frustrated me the most with this episode actually is I've tired of uh Strand I mean Strand has been since day one this this snake that you just can't trust and we've seen it a number of times and we saw it at its probably most extreme in the submarine with with Morgan when he was basically just like, you know, pushing him into zombies. But his, uh, his level of, um, evilness has exceeded even the character himself. It's, I don't believe that Strand is that bad. Yeah. And I think this, like, he's really sort of playing into sort of a bit of a villain archetype, isn't he? With having sort of, you know, portraits of himself and the civil war uniform he kind of struts around. And it's, it's almost a little bit too theatrical. And it's, Mm. I feel like it could, like we already know that he's kind of a a bad guy and it's just, I think it's turned up just a little bit too high, but we've only got what I think one more episode till the mid season break. I imagine of the show. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think the word you use there, theatrical, is is really good because that is frustrating. It reminds me a little bit of, not now, but at the start when he first came introduced in The Walking Dead, the king. I, I couldn't handle the king's character. The, the, the theatrics of that felt out of place within the context of a zombie apocalypse. And so, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Well, that is uh, Fear the Walking Dead. You can watch that on Neon. You can watch World Beyond on Amazon Prime. Um, but, yeah, be rest assured, we'll be heading to a mid-season break, so you will get a rest from us uh, banging on about these shows, particularly World Beyond. It's our Christmas present to you. Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, um, there is one other show that we've both been watching. That is uh, part two of Masters of the Universe. Indeed. And the memories for Dan Whiting are triggered as he recounts his time at school when Heyman's sword 
Battleaxe. Sorry, <laughs> Battleaxe <laughs> went missing every time I watch it raw. Every time I think of him, and I always think of that, and I just wish I could have been there to see it. The war for Ternia begins again in what may be the final battle between He-Man and Skeletor. This is season one, part two. So a few months ago, we talked about the first five episodes of this first season. And so now we are back for the the second set of um, how many episodes? Was it, another, it was another five, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we both really, from memory, both really enjoyed the, the first half of the season. Mm. Um, and I'll tell you, Paul, I ultimately did really enjoy part two as well, though it did, you know, much like you were making fun of me before, it did take me an episode to kind of get back into it. Like the first episode was like, I was a bit, I'm like, oh, where were we with this story? Oh, wait, what was happening? Like, and it kind of, who am I? It kind of felt like it was a bit, I was a bit out of sync of the story. And I think because it's so short, it would probably be a much better watch as a, as a full binge, I imagine. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think what was good about the way they ended the first part, so episode five of that first part, and again, spoilers for anyone who's listening, do be warned was the way in which they ended that 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 was quite a shocking end and it, we talked about how it was great to see Skeletor finally have the upper hand and legitimately look like he was coming to the fore but I think I think overall I think you're right to say this would have been stronger as one single drop I don't think splitting it in the end ultimately gave us too much more but like you I Overall, I I did really like this. I found like I was still riding on the wave of that first part. I felt like it's just ticking so many boxes in terms of look, in terms of feel, uh, the voice cast, the music, um, and it still brings through those elements of that '80s original series that did work, and particular the those characters, Man at Arms, Beast Man, you know. Evil Lynn was really good in this. She really had her own arc. They're so well designed and they all play out just as I would want them to. Skeletor is interesting because he was really central in this, of course. And what, what I will say is that I think Skeletor is actually, he looks better when he's regular Skeletor as opposed to this godlike Skeletor. He just, I just didn't, get that look at all and it really took me out of the moment if that's a, if, if you can even say that about such a show i completely agree i much preferred skeletor when he was uh, when he powered down yeah and he, he i think because it was more familiar to me and i think what's really interesting about this show and i i guess a good comparison would be you know with transformers uh, and the war for cybertron i remember we talked about it's kind of rehashing a a fairly common story that we all know in the Transformers universe. And I think what what, what I really think He-Man deserves good credit for is I think they've taken the concept of He-Man. They've still got the sort of the, you know, the fairly, um, the, the baseline story kind of underpinning it, but it does feel like a complete kind of fresh take on the story and they're really thinking differently about the characters, their um, In fact, I would almost say this whole series is way more about um, Skeletor, Evelyn, mm. Beastman, Teela than it is about He-Man. He-Man's almost the like he's he's main, but he's he's much more secondary than than any of those other characters. Well, we said this about season one, if memory serves, that we 
you know, we didn't actually get that much He-Man in that, well, not season one, that first part, sorry. And the same with this second part. And I guess maybe it's because he's, you know, he's so unbeatable that kind of keeping him at bay gives those secondary characters a chance to shine, which is why the the evil Lynn story, the the Teela story, even the Man at Arms story was all had a, a lot more time to shine. That said, because we're going to go into a second season, I feel like there has to be a way to enable the He-Man character to be in the story, be more central to season two without him having, you know, just like when we talk about Superman, just, oh, well, he's Superman, so you, you can't stop him because... The flip side, as we say, is it gives the other characters time. I thought having Orko return the way they did it, I thought that was quite nicely done because it was a real shame when he got killed off. But um, I really love the line, just before I forget it, Dan, when they, because last time they brought out a few crazy henchmen, but this time they brought out some of like the toys that you're like, oh, I remember that. And thinking there's no way they could bring that into this modern day series. But the way they did it was so good when I forget who it was, but they said, well, they've, the character says they've really, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel with these henchmen. And that was when pig boy and um, goat man came out. That was just a really nice way of saying, Hey, we know these characters are rubbish, but you want to see them. It's so good, isn't it? And I think this this was actually in the the news newsroom this week that you know so they are looking at season two and they want to kind of like flesh out some more of those characters nice. that you know everyone loved um, as a kid. So look, I think there's there's some great some great moments in this second half of the season. Like I loved um, He Man when he was kind of like the Incredible Hulk and he was oh, just yeah. kind of like Full Hulk. unstoppable beast mode. I thought. Uh, the little romance scene between Skeletor and Evil Lynn was borderline like creepy but hilarious at the same time. Yep. I loved like I, I would watch a show just about Evil Lynn and Beastman. I thought they were great characters, and I I kind of um, I didn't like that Evil Lynn didn't actually get to come out on top because I feel like we've actually been on quite a journey with her. As you know, she's yeah, she's sort of you know she's Evil Lynn, but she's actually like. We've seen her sort of character arc really grow from the first part of the season to the second. Uh, same with Beastman. He's normally just a, almost sort of the, the dumb brute from, from the He-Man universe. Um, not very smart, but in, in, in this series, he's a, you know, well-considered, silent, strong, silent type. And it's it, yeah. it's just really, really good to see. Yeah, the strong, silent type is, is a good way of describing it because that sort of brute element hasn't come through. That's sort of been reserved for maybe Ram Man, um, maybe Cyclops has been a bit sort of um, who's the one with the triple head? Um, oh, I know who you mean. You know yep. what I mean. Um, the the one story point which I thought was a little a little bit weak because of course it was you know the the, the end of season or part one sorry with Skeletor with the sword that was pretty cool, but then it was kind of like. Uh, Evil Lynn was like, ha ha, I've got the magic sword, so now I've got the power. And then, of course, He-Man's like, I can do it without the sword. I don't know, that, that, there was just a little bit too much of that for me. It became a little bit borderline, but it's a minor criticism because there was enough that came out of this for me that that I found really, really enjoyable. The Skeletor's um, animation of he he is great the, the the way they do his eyes at certain points convey so many different emotions so like when he's talking to prince adam and then you know he's talking about oh how are we going to be able to stop evil lynn and he says oh so what are you going to do ask nicely and then adam's like yeah that's exactly what i'm going to do and his face at that point was just like oh my goodness he's, he, they really convey that so well my question for you dan on skeletal though 
and I know that the voice of the 80s skeletal was always a bit yeah, it was really humorous and it really didn't have that scary factor. Having Mark Hamill come in as such a strong voice for Skeletor. But as someone who I know is very familiar with his gaming, you know, voice of the Joker, is it too similar to the Joker? Is it is it different enough? It is very similar. And I think there's a very fine line, I think, at times between Skeletor and the Joker. And, and you you can kind of, it almost makes it darker for me. It makes me think actually the, the skeleton was way more twisted than he is I think and Mark Hamill does such a, a great job of it but yeah I, I would agree with that They're, they are very similar yeah also uh, talking of toys Scareglow he was one of the toys one of my friends at school had and I just thought it was brilliant because of course you know it, it would glow in the dark and they found a way of bringing his character into it as well I mean this is where I do take my hat off to to, to Kevin Smith and co because they, they're, they're, they're fans and so they're literally going oh can we bring Scarecrow in? And everyone's like, oh, he was rubbish. And they're like, yeah, let's bring him in. <laughs> I'm I'm literally, I'm standing in front of a thin pane of glass pool before I start buying these Netflix <laughs> action figures of He-Man. Like, I don't need them. I But I'm just like, the memories are so strong. And the idea of just having He-Man, he Skeletor, Man-at-Arms, Beast-Man, Triclops, Sorceress, Lycor, Orko. It was just like, I could just imagine them all on a shelf and how great it would be. How great would they Maybe look? I need them. How great would they look next to all of the War for Cybertron Transformer figures and all the stables? You know, they, they would really fit in well. I would love to hear because, of course, we talk about this as middle-aged men, you know, reminiscing of, of childhood. I wonder, someone who hasn't had that experience coming in watching this as a first time, what their take is on that? And because, and I think we said this last time, it is getting pretty badly beaten up by ratings all over the place you know it's is it just us it doesn't seem to be just us then it seems to be a number of people yeah look i i think that the the challenge with a show like this right is and it almost goes back to what i was saying about the transformer stuff people have a very fixed memory of what they want this to be and if it doesn't hit all the right notes for them then it instantly kind of gets gets downvoted and I do think this is a TV show made, kind of made for us. Like, yeah. I don't know if you would get the the same buzz and the same enjoyment out of these characters. In fact, you'd probably think, like, oh, they're so one-dimensional. Like, there's such a classic, like, hero-villain story. And uh, it's, it, like, like, there's not, like, the I think the depth and the passion comes from the memories that we have. Yeah, it does. And... The final thing I made a note of here, I just wrote down um, cat, and I'm like, why have I written cat? And now I remember, because of course we've watched a few films and shows recently where the writers have killed off someone's dog, and even in this animated series, they were prepared to have this souped-up evil Lin take out Panthor, Skeletor's, you know, his famous cat. That's another character they're prepared to, you know, going after the animals. It's crazy. Well, just while you were talking, I've literally just Google searched these Masters of the Universe toys. Dangerous. And I can already see there's a shop here in New Zealand that sells Battle Cat. And it's not like the Battle Cat I had when I was a kid. Like, this has got, like, articulating, like, um, <laughs> arms and paws and arts. This is, this, is, this is a slippery slope. We bring this podcast to a premature end as Dan Whiting does his online shopping for the week. Yep, yep. We're going to need some more Patreons. That, that's, that's what we're going to need <laughs> to fund these new toys. 
so look that's um masters of the universe part two you can watch the whole part one and part two on netflix right now i think like paul was saying if you're a if you're a fan of of he-man you've got any sort of fond memories of it then i think you're going to really enjoy it if you don't have those memories give it a go but we would love to hear from you if you if you don't know much about he-man and you loved it it'd be it'd be fascinating to know indeed well paul it must be time for our movie of the week indeed so every week dan and i take it in turns we choose a movie we post that movie in our Discord community a week in advance. You can join that community by clicking on the show notes so you can watch along with us. And then here we come a week later to do our weekly movie of the week review. And this week, Dan, what are we doing? This week, Paul, we are watching the 2016 movie Lion, which you can watch here on Neon in New Zealand. And this is the story of a five-year-old Indian boy who's adopted by an Australian couple after getting lost hundreds of kilometres away from home. 25 years later, he sets out to find his lost family. Firstly, if you haven't seen this movie, please use the timings in the show notes in this podcast. Skip ahead to the news desk because this is one that you might want to to watch and you just don't want to hear us talking about spoilers. This, Dan, this is an incredible movie. This is one of those movies where there is not a, there's not a dry eye in the house. It, it is just, I often criticise the Oscars, but for my money, it deserved all six of the Academy Awards nominations that it got. I thought this movie was not only good, I would say it's one of the top five movie of the weeks that we have ever done. And so that's how high I'm coming in on this movie. I thought it was absolutely exceptional. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. This is a a fantastic, heart-wrenching, harrowing story. And I think that Dev Patel is an amazing, amazing actor. And, like, he's so young and he's already been – we could almost do a peak performance on Dev Patel because he's been in so many uh, great movies. But I think I couldn't even begin to imagine what watching this movie would be like if you had children. Oh, so the first first 30 minutes I found so hard to watch. They did – such a good job of um, portraying the anxiety and of course what they also did and I guess we find out at the end but what they did that was interesting that they didn't show the mother's perspective and so you were just left to wonder how she was feeling this whole time and the the um, you know as you say Dev Patel absolutely absolutely exceptional the uh, the actor who played the the young Saru Sunny Power, absolutely oh, yeah. brilliant. I thought he uh, he has a, a great future ahead of him. But yeah, just just harrowing the, the first thirty minutes. Just the idea of being so young and being separated from your family, and then finding yourself in a different part of the country, being unable to speak the dialect, mm. and just the harrowing things that. Uh, that Saru has to go through is it, it's it's incredible. It really is, and and it and even jumping forward, you know, the the years as as he becomes older, and then Dev Patel comes in, 
that pain doesn't go away and we see it through a, a different um, different time. We see the how it affects him as a, as a young adult. You're right, Dev Patel is really young and yet he's, he is terrific. We saw him recently, didn't we, in the hotel Mumbai that we reviewed together. And yeah, I think this he goes even one better in the role of, of Saru in this movie. Yeah, look, I agree. He's, I had, The first time I came across Dev Patel was actually in a UK TV series called Skins, and he was amazing in that as well. And uh, I just can't wait to see. Like, anything he's in, I'm, I'm really interested in watching. I think this is – I almost just can't rave any more highly about this movie. And it's like, I think, like you were saying, Paul, if you haven't seen it, just go and watch it. Like, it's such a it, – it'll take you on a journey. It's – I don't know, you know, doing this podcast with you, Dan, one of the things I've discovered is is how much I love a, a true story. Like I've always known, and, and Diana is the same, we we always talk about how much we love watching, but there's something about uh, then the conversation afterwards that's even more rewarding with that with that true story. And often, maybe not so much in this movie, but it's often educational as well. But um, yeah, this this movie's finale... And again, you know, we talked about spoilers, so if you're still listening, so be it. It did that thing that always makes Band of Brothers the most memorable, one of the most memorable TV series for me. It's um it was the same with um the the Daniel Radcliffe um prison movie where they bring in the actual people that these that these characters have been portraying on screen and you see what's going on for them and from what i could tell the way they shot that scene that was live and so that reaction that you saw was even more raw so if you thought what you were seeing in the movie which of course was powerful all of a sudden you're seeing the oh i just that's that is the power of a true story that um no matter what genre of movie i i love the most this this the, the genre of the true story in this context is possibly number one. Mm, no, I think, uh, well said, there's, there's so much to enjoy. And I think, you know, it's, it's even amazing to think that this movie has, you know, incredible actresses like Nicole Kidman in it yeah. who, you know, do a fantastic job, but take a, a backseat to the, to the wider story and, and the, the wider cast. Yeah, no, you're right. Both Nicole and, and David Wenham as the father, you know, they were both, great in their roles that that's so nice and kind and understanding and patient and calm and you know, I thought they both really nailed those parts and when you see when you see uh, Nicole Kidman's counterpart in real life you sort of understand the the look that she adopted I thought they got that spot on um the direction is is fantastic I mean I can be you know you and I criticize so much on this podcast but I honestly don't know where to fault this movie it really works on every level um, and even though I know the ending now, I feel in the future I could easily go a, a rewatch, you know, like maybe when you, you know, we often talk about movies to watch with your parents, you know, if a couple of years down the line, you might be, this would be one you could easily, easily stick on and watch just, yeah, all the guns, just go see this movie. Is it, is it there, Paul, do you want to see your, your mum and dad cry? I, I don't know if that's what you, that's what you want. This, <laughs> I, I don't know if you could literally have a dry eye while watching this movie. Well, I don't know if it's possible. you were talking to the guy that thought it would be a good idea to sit down and watch Crank to high voltage um, with his parents. And so I've learned my lesson about certain types of movie. I think I, after that, I can handle anything. 
So that is Lion, which you can watch, as I was saying before, here on Neon in New Zealand. But if you haven't seen it, add it to your watch list. Fantastic movie. Shall I take us on over to the news desk? Yes, please, Dan. All right. So I know I'll run us pretty rapidly through this list, mostly sort of some key headlines for you. So Henry Cavell has confirmed that Enola Holmes 2 um, has been wrapped for filming. So expect more Enola Holmes, I imagine, coming to Netflix. Um, We both quite enjoyed that movie, so it should be a good time. We've already talked about Masters of the Universe Season 2 could still happen, which I think is great news if you're a a Masters of the Universe fan. Uh, Star Wars Rangers of the New Republic is seemingly on hold and may be absorbed into the Mandalorian. Now, I effing hate this, Paul. Don't come at me with your announcements of all your new TV shows and they like because they they're clearly undercooked. You're clearly just like I've got a title and a, a bit of a concept, and it, it's so it's so frustrating. I. And being caught off guard, much like you with the Yellowstone incident earlier, I did not hear this. And now add that to the list of Rogue Squadron. Um, it's it's such a frustration because Disney is so good at so many things in terms of, you know, we've talked about how well they're doing in that TV environment compared to, for example, Paramount Plus. Um, and to hear that is really, really disappointing. Um, okay. Yeah. Like, so when they announced this, there wasn't even any scripts or sort of concepts really pulled together, which is. Don't announce. It's just so. It's just so frustrating. They've popped their nose way too soon. Um, what else have we got here? <laughs> Sorry, so, can you just explain that? Like, what? We, you know, Paul from, you know, Fast and the Furious 1. You know, if you like, you know, if you pop your nose and it's like, too soon, and then like, you know, you, you've got to do it at the right time so that you. you, you, I, if, you is... if you go early. I will endeavour to use that expression in my workplace to see how that flies. I use it quite regularly. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> That's because I'm about family. Um, Dolph Lundgren says that a full Ivan Drago spin-off movie could actually happen. Amazing. Um, I'm down. I'm 100% down. Love the Rocky movies. Really, ready to rewatch those bad boys. Would love to see more um, Dolph. That's so good. If he dies, he dies. It should be the way it is. And that's a great, it's always my favourite line from that movie. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which is the the new Marvel movie due to come out around Christmas time, has had the highest pre-sales um, ever by the looks of it. And it's pre, it's surpassed Avengers Endgame, which came out in 2019. And that had an opening weekend of $357 million. Wow. So, and I, there's even reports that all of the, the cinema websites are, are crashing because people are trying to buy tickets. There's scalpers trying to sell tickets for as high as $25,000 to go and see spots, which is crazy, right? Like, you know, just 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 wait. Just wait wait a day. $25,000? You, you can wait. Um, but I think that's a very promising thing uh, for the new Spider-Man No Way Home movie. And speaking of, this was sort of meant to be the – well, it is sort of the, the end of the, the No Way Home uh, trilogy. And there were sort of, I guess, questions for fans and around, is there going to be more Spider-Man? Will we have more Tom Holland? Are we going to have a reboot? But it looks like Sony and Tom Holland have confirmed we will be getting more 
um, more Tom Holland Spider-Man, which I think is awesome. I think he's a, he's a fantastic Spider-Man, so um, that's very cool. Um, and just one final bit of news for me, and this is sort of a, an accidental bit of news I discovered, that on Netflix on my phone now, I've now got Netflix games that I can download. So oh, now we've been talking about Netflix gaming for a little yeah. while. And uh, yeah, it's here It's here in New Zealand, obviously a bit of a, a soft and quiet launch, but if you're already subscribed to that service, why not give some of their games a whirl? Any news from you, Paul? Not too much, no. Uh, the new Boba Fett series trailer came out. I managed to take a leaf over your book, Dan, and uh, leaf over... Um, Virgil Tracy in our Discord book and not watch it. I managed to resist watching it. Also on Star Wars, and I know <laughs> after what you've just said about you know the, the Rangers, but um, you mentioned last week about the sequel trilogy TV series. Adam Driver has come out this week and said I'm totally not against it, which is in terms of him him being in it. Um, I think the idea of him featuring in that would be fascinating given how his character ended in the rise of skywalker so if it's set post that movie you know how does his involvement come about adam driver is clearly recovered from extensive back surgery um from carrying the franchise <laughs> I, every time honestly this is why you live a safe distance away because you know by the time i've driven at least half the way to your house i would have calmed down um there was, what else did I have here? Oh, um, Money Heist, which is one of the shows I've really enjoyed. That's getting its own um, spin-off series. Um, La Casa de Papel is getting a spin-off. So that's a show I've really enjoyed. So I'm fascinated to see how they're going to do that. Because that show, as I said in the, when I did my last review, is, is great. But they've got to the point now where I don't think they can take it any further. And so here they are doing a spin-off. So I find that quite fascinating to hear. Uh, that is all the news I've got. Just a couple of little bits and pieces in our mailbag, Dan. Actually, um, a couple of suggestions came in uh, this week for us. Uh, we had Sarah from Lower Hut. See, she had a suggestion for us uh, to go and watch the fabulous Filipino Brothers um which is a, sh uh, a movie about that follows four brothers and their shenanigans i've seen a lot of good reviews to it um she says it was great fun so one for our list and then also had a recommendation from uh mike in Pamston north uh who said to give belgravia a will it's available for us on tvnz on demand um, it's by Julian Fellows of Downton Abbey fame. An easy six-episode watch, he said. Um, so one for us to look out for. What else have I got here? Oh, that's right. Max Beasley, who was in The Outsider, who you and I might remember best from Homeland. Um, he he shared our review of The Outsider on social media, which was nice. Julio Cesar Sedini uh, from The Harder They Fall. He, um, he shared our Instagram post. The director himself, James Samuel, um, a.k.a. The Bullets, uh, who wrote the script and also composed the music, um, he retweeted our review of the How Do They Fall on Twitter, which was pretty cool. And then finally, last week's peak performance uh, was Will Smith. Just the two came through this week, Dan. We had Ryan from Oakland 
he went with Ali, which neither you or I gave any mention, but of course, quite an extraordinary movie. Um, and then Paddy, Time Travelling Tink Podcast, gave us a 3-2-1. I, Robot, great movie. I haven't seen that in a long time. Enemy of the State. And number one for him was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That is the mailbag, Dan. Very good. Um, I will take us on over to our peak performances. So much like Movie of the Week, Paul and I take turns choosing our favourite actors, actresses, directors, producers, and everyone in between. And we choose what we consider their peak performances. This week, Paul, who are we talking about? This week, we're going with David Wenham, who I think was inspired by the fact we'd just seen him in uh, Lion. And I have to say, Dan... Uh, I really appreciate this nomination because it's not every week that we we do have a, a peak performance for an Australian, and uh, you know it certainly makes us up a little bit. Uh, do you want to do you want to kick us off? Sure thing. So yeah, I think it's um it's good also not to always go with the big huge A listers. Yeah, no offense, I love uh, it. David Wenham. It's it's good to have a bit of a a variety. So this week I actually feel like I've gone for some some fairly classic movies. Uh, in his portfolio. So for my runner-up, I'm going to go for his role as uh, Delios in 300. So the movie 300 came out back in, in 2006. And I d- it's one of those movies that I unfortunately don't think is really held up over time. But back in the day, absolutely amazing. This is one of my favorite movies to come out in 2006, 2007. Absolutely loved the whole story. I loved all the characters, and I loved just like like it was such a, a great way to see David Wenham as a, as a bit of a, a different character and sort of look at him in a, in a bit of a, a different light. So shout out for three hundred, and yeah, just unfortunately, it just I'm just not so sure how how it would watch today. I'd love to hear if it's still a good movie, uh, but my peak performance, I cannot go past two thousand and threes. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. And David Wenham is is Faramir. I I didn't like Faramir at first and and like when we were first introduced him as a character, I wanted Boromir back. And, you know, Faramir, he won my heart in the end. He's a good guy. He you know, he's got a tough relationship with his dad, but you know, through thick and thin, he was he was part of the fellowship in the end, and I just thought he was such a an endearing character that you know did a great job of helping sort of bring you on a bit of a journey and kind of like really challenge your perspective of of who he is and the and the role that he had to play in the in this big quest. So for me, three hundred and Return of the King. Nice choice, Dan. I um, I actually have Faramir as my as my um, honorable mention i thought like everything you just said i i kind of felt the same way i thought more than anything what he did um david Wenham, i thought he really held his own in amongst you know it's a truly stunning cast on lord of the rings and he never looks out of his depth he's he's really good um you know sort of you know we think about him next to to sean bean's boromir um and of course he's he's rocking that awesome hairstyle as well um he's yeah, he's he's great. Uh, I I was tempted to go Pete performs, but in the end, when I really thought about it and I really looked at the stuff, I actually I really really enjoyed him uh, in Iron Fist, um, which I'll be honest wasn't perhaps my favourite of the Defenders TV series, 
but in the role of Howard Meacham, um, I thought he just was really good as that sort of corporate evil, um, you know, he, he played uh, the character, was it Ward Meacham, is it Ward? Yeah, Ward's father. And, you know, he's the co-founder of Danny Rand's you know, company. He's he's sinister. It was kind of like if Bruce Wayne was was evil. And yeah, it's the Harold Meacham story. Whenever he was in in the story of Iron Fist, I really thought he was a standout character. I felt he he really drove a lot of the story plots and he he played that role, you know, especially when you think of him next to what we just saw him in Lion. He just really gives that portrayal of evil really well. I really, really enjoyed him in that. So yeah, it was really interesting to look back at some of his stuff because I was I was convinced I was going Lord of the Rings, but in the end, Iron Fist just ran, ran out for me. Great shouts, Paul. Great shouts. Well, that probably brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Half Mishes podcast. It does indeed. Thanks very much for listening to this week. And if you've got any suggestions, complaints, or feedback for Dan, then let us, you know, just let us know, halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media. <laughs> yeah, or address all complaints to Paul. He, <laughs> he's really the, the one that you probably should be focusing on. Right. Um, I also need to give a, a, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, uh, Samara King, Trisha Brady, uh, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tavner. We couldn't do this without you. If you would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, help me buy He-Man toys, um, keep the lights on at the podcast, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.